And we are live. Hello. What's going on, Craig? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. What's uh, what's it like over there across the pond these days? Uh, well, we're all still locked in our houses. So that's that's the first thing. It's starting to slowly uh, open back up. Uh, it's nice weather now. That's, that's about it. That's about all we can say. Um, what about you? What's it like over there? Things are starting to open up. You know, Texas went with the whole no more mask idea, although a lot of businesses were still requiring that. So things are, are still pretty similar to what it was beforehand. I mean, restaurants are open, bars and, and things started opening more, but a lot of your main like big events, right? Like so symphonies, museums are still like very, very limited capacity. Travel's getting a little bit better. I took my first trip like a week and a half ago up to New York. So that was cool to get on a plane and like actually met up with Twitter friends, like real life Twitter friends, Andrew Berry, Andrew Yu, Jamie Russo, and Alejandro Navia. We all met and it was just like the wildest experience because it's the first time, but we, we interacted like we've just been like longtime friends. And that's because we have been from, from Twitter, but it was weird to see how easy that transition from like the online world into real life actually was. Oh, I, I can't wait for that. I'm, as soon as, as soon as the borders open, I'm going to be in America or somewhere hitting up some Twitter friends. It's going to be lovely. It, it's going to be like, there's going to be so much energy. It's going to be wild when that actually happens and all these new connections start meeting each other in person. It's going to be wild. I know. So, so what, so what's new with you? Because performative speaking got acquired. What, what, what's changed? What's, how's that going? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a wild experience, right? Like I think last time we talked, it was still when it was just my thing, right? Performance yeah. speaking was just performance speaking. And now it's part of on deck, got acquired and I'm working inside of, you know, that incredible organization and seeing all the cool things they are doing and just, and it's, it's, it's been wild. It's been a ton of fun getting to work with so many ambitious individuals, founders, VCs, people giving keynote addresses. Like, in fact, I'm working with somebody who's about to give a keynote address for an event put on by like the UK government. And they actually replaced Prince Harry because, you know, Prince Harry kind of did some things that did not sit, sit well with uh, the UK government, but it's just, it's been a wild experience. And all honesty, things have, it feels like things happened incredibly fast. You know, like I've been looking back on this whole thing recently and I didn't really get serious on Twitter or performance speaking until like June of last year. So like we're only, nine, 10 months into this journey. And it feels like I've crammed like three years into it or five years into it. So it's, it's, it's just been, been really cool to look back and, and see how far it's gone. Uh, it's insane. Oh, hold on. Somebody said, I can't, they can't hear you. Just give me a second. So sing or something. Can you sing? I cannot. Right. Just now try singing. Uh, I still will not sing, but hopefully somebody can hear me now. Yeah, yeah, it's coming through now. Sorry, my bad. I was messed up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is it a different experience now you're working inside on deck then? I imagine big established companies is a lot different, right? I mean, it's definitely different than doing it on your own. The The one thing that's still very similar is the way that on deck has their program directors kind of operate. You still have you're basically running your program anyways. Now you're just inside of on deck and have some operational support around like growth and marketing and candidates and that process. And like, they actually have no code infrastructure built in, which is incredible because I did not have any of that. So it, 
it's a lot nicer having that support and then also getting to bring in some guest speakers that probably wouldn't have joined if it was just mine in all honesty, because like the on deck name gives them more credibility to come into the space as well. So it's just been, it's been a cool opportunity. There's definitely challenges, especially for myself. And I think that most founders or creators will, will find this is that you fall into this trap of, you know, everything that you want to get done. And so you're just like, I'm just going to do it. But you know that you should be like offloading it and delegating to other people, but it takes you more time originally to delegate to somebody than it does for you just to like grind it out and get it done. So like, I think early on, I found that that was like a real struggle for me where I was like, I just want to do it. Like, just, just leave me alone and I'll take care of it Yeah. instead of handing it off and putting, you know, kind of documentation in place so people could, could do the things I wanted to without me having to tell them. And so that, that was definitely a, a learning process. And I think a lot of creators, a lot of founders will go through that as they build and start bringing on teams and realize like, Hey, I've got to start handing stuff off. It's a challenge because as the founder, as a creator, you're used to doing it all. And like, you're fine with that. You understand that process, but if you really want to scale, you've got to step back and start handing that stuff off. Yeah. I I completely agree with you. That's um, still quite hard for me to be honest, because you you've got to teach people things and you think it's slower but in the long run it's it's more efficient and all that kind of thing i'm i'm at that comfortable level with the agency that it isn't like that there's only five of us but yeah i I can i can imagine um now you're in a bigger company and and things need to scale it's a lot different but in terms of focusing on your craft though so focusing on speaking and things that probably means you're spending more time doing that kind of thing, right? You know, I was talking about this the other day with Andrew Barry, who's a friend and advised me on the first one. I said, the nice thing, once you go through the first one and you get this feedback of like, hey, this ran really well, you knew what you were talking about. It almost gives you this permission to really like dive, dive in and say, cool, like I'm going to totally own this and go really deep into my craft. Cause I think when you're first starting out, you're still like a little bit nervous and you're kind of putting your toe in the water and making sure it's safe. And once you get that validation of like, Hey, you know what you're talking about, then you go really deep. So yeah. What have I been doing the last few months? I mean, obviously like building this out and, and trying to scale it to a larger degree, but in terms of the speaking, like just focusing on going super deep, right? Like we think of like that kind of T shape where you can go, like you can go very wide on things or you can go really deep. And I've said really what I've been going really deep on is speaking. And like learning and really analyzing a lot of old speeches and doing deep dives into it and figuring out like, what exactly is it that works so well? What stands out? Why do we remember certain speeches? Why don't we remember certain speeches? And just diving into these dynamics and also working with founders, especially around fundraising and really diving into that psychology that we need as well to create action in the people we're speaking to. And so like, I've had to focus so much more on that craft and also deliver more frameworks and really start thinking about like pulling all the things that I know inside of me that I do instinctively and say, why do I do those things instinctively? And how can I explain them to somebody who does not have that same background as me? Because I don't want people to have to spend 10 years going to law school and being a trial lawyer in order to get to the place I'm at. I want to speed that up. Like that's my role. And so I'm doing a lot of in a lot of ways, kind of what like Dumbledore did when he takes the the thoughts out of his head and puts them into the pensive. And then I'm trying to look at them like, why do I do these things? And then start pulling that out and saying, 
here's why this, this, and this reason. And here's the framework that you can use to achieve this in a, maybe not a hundred percent the way of how I do it, but 85, 90%. And it's going to take you one tenth of the time. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Cause that's like exactly the kind of thing I, w- I want to talk about these kind of rules basically on, on voice and speaking. And I've called this episode, how to brand your voice. The plan is that it doesn't run too long, but we'll, we'll, if we probably get into this, we'll probably end up talking for ages. Um, I, I DM'd you earlier about this, this idea of branded communication and, I've been thinking about it a lot recently because I'm messing about with cameras and podcasts and, and, and things like that. And I've really been trying to expand the way that I communicate o- online. So writing tweets, writing blog posts, I just did the atomic essays thing um, making, making podcasts. And, and now today I've just put loads of little videos out on, on Twitter and I DM'd you about this idea of branded communication and you said you'd wrote a tweet about it. So I wanted to really explore that idea of branding your voice, specifically because Clubhouse came around. Now we've got Twitter spaces and I think your voice is becoming another part of your brand for everybody. Do you agree? 100%. Like, there are people you listen to. And as soon as you hear that beginning of their voice, you know exactly who's speaking. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you actually have an advantage in that in a lot of way, ways, Craig, because like you have this like really rich tone and accent that stands out. Yeah. When I hear your voice, even if it's on clubhouse or something else, like I immediately know it's you. And that is a strength. Now, not everyone obviously has really rich tone or an accent, but there are ways to start thinking about that. And I, I think I told you, I, I wrote a tweet just the other day, maybe like two, three days ago. And I said, having a distinctive speaking style will take you far. Mm-hmm. And I've really been thinking about that a lot as well as I'm, I'm diving more and more into this world, because I think you're right. It's going to be more important than ever. So what, what makes a distinctive speaking style? Because obviously, like you said, we can't, well, we can control our accent to a point, but it's based on location, isn't it? If you want to stay authentic to who you are. So how can you control the other things to develop a a style as such? There's a lot of really interesting examples in this, right? So if we think about it, Barack Obama, very distinct style. And one of my favorite clips to actually like show that you can create a style of speaking. And this is really what kind of triggered me thinking about this thought was there's this Trevor Noah bit where he is doing the first time young Obama met Nelson Mandela and he's doing this interaction between the two of them. And he's talking as Nelson Mandela trying to get Barack Obama to start speaking with a more presidential voice. If he wants to be the first black president in the United States. Mm. And he's going through this process because at first it's like super fast and high pitched. He's like, slow down, slow down. And so like he works with him slowing down. Then he's like, you need to speak deeper. And so like he gets deeper and then he's like, you need this like rasp like in your, in your throat. Yeah. And he's just like doing, ah, ah. And it's like, it's, it's hilarious, but it's also totally right. And then like, you see the transition as Trevor Noah is doing this. And by the end you, you get like the distinctive tone of Obama, like, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And like, they just keep doing this. And you're like, that is literally Obama. And like Trevor Noah just did this entire bit showing how you can make that transition. Why do I bring that up though? Because like there are people that have distinctive voices, Obama, Oprah, 
Uh, if we think about like historical speakers, Churchill, JFK, MLK, all of these people have had very, very distinctive styles in the way that you speak. Like you listen and you immediately know that's JFK speaking. You immediately know that's Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King. Like there's no doubt about it. So how do you do it? Right. So some of it's going to be your word choice. You're going to use certain certain things that are always kind of yours. Right. And that's one way to signal. But the other like the more effective way is actually the way that you play with like cadence and volume and building rhythm and your pacing. Like these are the things that actually stand out. So if we think about it, right, if you listen to like Gary Vee or Tony Robbins, like you always recognize them. They have a very distinctive style in the way that they approach their speaking environment. Same, same is going to be true. Like I said, for, for Oprah has a very distinctive style. Brene Brown, very distinctive style. Like I can listen to them and immediately, if I'm like completely blind, I could still pick up their voices because they have a distinctive way that they approach things. I've been told myself that I have a very distinctive way that I speak. I take lots of pauses. I tend to be very slow. I tend to be very deliberate. I play a lot with dynamics where I'm going up and down, slow to fast, fast to slow, big pauses, ranging in emotion. Like you can see me building rhythm when I'm doing it. And the reason I'm thinking about all that so intentionally when I'm doing it is I want people every time they hear me speak, no, that's Robbie Crabtree who's speaking. And so you're thinking about these things. So like I will even create like taglines for people I'm working with so that they can, can basically create this distinctive voice because they get so accustomed to saying that tagline over and over and over again. So a lot of times if you hear me talking about tactics, I always will say, you know, that's where we work on rhythm and pacing and volume and tone and how you can use silence as a speaker. And then we get into rule of three and one like one unlike the other and floating opposites. And essentially by delivering it that same way every time, rhythm and pacing and volume and tone and how do you use silence? Like it starts to become very familiar to people when they hear me say it over and over and over again, you always can tell that that's me speaking. So I'm thinking about these ways to deliver that authentic voice that stands out as distinctly mine. Mm. So do, do you think people, presidents, anybody famous and things like that, do you think they are training the way that they speak or do you think they were to an extent born like that? They're 100% training the way that they speak. What, anyone, anyone who's doing it well. Yeah. Some, people, some people aren't doing it well, so they have a distinctive voice for other reasons. Yeah. But the ones who are doing it well are absolutely 100% training it. They're like, you know, we, we can go into to lots of, you know, famous politicians in the way that, that they, they do it. But like, I mean, George W. Bush, extremely distinctive style. Bill Clinton, extremely distinctive style. Ronald Reagan, extremely distinctive style. Like D Donald Trump, extremely distinctive style. Yeah. Every president has an extremely distinctive style. What does that tell us? That tells us it's effective. Like there is a reason they all have such distinctive ways that they speak because it stands out to you. How, if you're trying to connect with an audience that you aren't ever meeting person to person, how do you make sure that your message resonates with them and they remember what you had to say, or at least remember in Maya Angelou's words, how you made them feel? They need something to anchor to. So if they can always say, oh, like when you hear Obama, he talks, you know, in this way versus Trump in this way versus George H.W. in this, this way. That's how you make it stand out. That's how you make it sticky, right? And like we're all in this creator economy, making your ideas sticky is incredibly important. And the, the style that you deliver with your voice 
is how you achieve that. So like, there's a reason great speakers do that. Like there's a reason Tony Robbins speaks in the way that he does. Gary Vee speaks in the way that he does. There's a way Trevor Noah and, and John Oliver and all of these late night hosts too. Samantha B. like it doesn't matter who it is. They all have a distinctive voice and style because it stands out when you listen to them. Mm. I, wonder, I wonder as well, kind of a sideways point, because um, I'm, try, I'm trying to think a little bit back to when I first started podcasting in 2017. And, and one of the... <clears throat> one of the reasons why I really started podcasting was to, you know, work out a better way of speaking. Um, and when I first started podcasting, I was 100% using my Yorkshire accent, wasn't enunciating words or vowels or letters or things like that. And sounded like I had a potato in my mouth, as my Finnish friend says. And over time, without any kind of without any kind of formal training, really, the fact that I was making a podcast every day and listening to my voice, that was the only thing that I was doing. Over about six months, my voice had completely changed to pretty much the way that it sounds now, purely because I was listening to it and also practicing every single day. So do you think there's any kind of mileage in doing that kind of thing? Yeah, I think one of the most effective ways to figure this out is to listen to yourself, right? And what you can even do is identify people that you like, the way that they speak, and then listen to them, listen to yourself, listen to them, listen to yourself, listen to them, listen to yourself, and start figuring out like, what am I doing like them? And what could I change, right? So like my favorite example, like the the ones that most inspire me growing up and the ones that I wanted to imitate the most were all the characters in the West Wing. So like, I'm constantly looking at like a President Bartlett, a Sam Seaborn, a, a Joshua Lyman, a Toby Ziegler, uh, Allison, you know, CJ Craig and saying, and Ainsley Hayes as well. Like, how can I like take all the things they're doing so well and turn them into my own unique style, right? Or like a Harvey Specter. Like I, I love the way that he, he delivers talks as well. James Bond is another one. Like there are so many influences that I use from things that aren't even real, right? Like they're, they're shows, they're movies. Mm. But then I also use real life examples. Like I get so much inspiration. Like there's a speech JFK did at Rice when he was talking about why they're going to the moon and it is the most beautiful, like the first three minutes is just absolute music to my ears. When I listen to it, I'm like, that is gorgeous. And he has huge pauses, like in the middle of sentences, he's doing very much like a, a rhythm of like these twos and then building into like rule of three and doing one on like the other. And like just using all these skills and these, these oratory techniques and it. I mean, seriously, it is just absolute music when I listen to it. And so like, as I listen, I, I think, how can I do those similar things? But then the, what makes your voice distinct is you find all these different inspiration sources and you bring them all together and basically mix them all up inside of yourself. Mm. So you're not a JFK. You're not a fictional character. You're not James Bond. You're not Brené Brown. You're not Amanda Gorman. You're a piece of all of them. And then it becomes uniquely you. But then you listen to yourself and you start figuring out like that piece right there sounds like this person. That piece right here sounds like this person. And you can utilize it and get better at it. So like I watch back pretty much every video that I do of myself, whether that's a video for Instagram, for Twitter, for YouTube, whatever it is, I watch them back. I want to hear exactly how I sounded because sometimes the way I sound in my head when I'm delivering it is not the way it comes across when I actually listen to it back. And so... I actually think a lot of times I'm speaking a lot faster than I am. 
Yeah. And sometimes I'll try to speed up a whole bunch and then I'll go back and listen to it. And I'm like, oh, I was speaking at like a very normal pace because I've trained myself to speak so slowly over time that even when I speed up, like it doesn't get to the point where, where it feels out of control when I'm listening to it. But in my head, it feels like I am. So it's extremely valuable to go and watch that and start kind of learning in a way through like osmosis by watching other people as well. Yeah. And getting over yourself is really hard as well, isn't it? To actually do the thing you just said. Actually, if you do record a podcast, listen to yourself. Or if you do make a video, watch yourself doing it. I'm wondering how much of this is kind of linked to confidence because you practice regularly, you build confidence in the skill that you're you're doing, even if you're not sure how you're doing it, but you've then got the confidence to watch and listen to yourself. And then you've then got the confidence to try pauses, or you've then got the confidence to try like a weird technique that you've seen on a YouTube video or something. Uh, how much is it linked to confidence, do you think? You know, quickly, it's interesting because when you first start listening to yourself, you're going to hate the sound of your voice. Yeah. And, and then you're essentially going to get to a point that you've listened to your voice enough and you're going to start loving hearing it. And it's like this really weird, like switch that flips in a lot of people where all of a sudden they went from like this, Ooh, I don't like how I sound. So like they get past that. And then it's, it is just like pure ambrosia to their ears where they're like, that's me. Like I'm, I'm liking how I sound right there. It's a really interesting uh, transition that happens. And most people, when they put in enough reps to, and really just kind of overcome that first mental barrier of like, oh, I don't like hearing myself. But in terms of confidence, like honestly, being a great speaker is like, I really do think like confidence is, is your number one indicator of success as a speaker. Because if you're confident when you go out on a stage, like a, a confident speaker is going to appear competent and credible to an audience. Yes. But if you appear competent and credible to an audience, like you, you are way far ahead of the person who comes out and does not appear confident. And so the interesting thing about confidence too, is like, it's one of those things. So many people make this mistake of real, like forgetting nobody knows how you feel on the inside. Like no, nobody, nobody can see through you. Nobody can tell you're nervous. Nobody can tell that you don't know what you're talking about, but they can, if you tell them, like, if you get up there and you say, I'm so nervous or I'm sorry, y'all, I've never done this before. Like, what do you think those people are going to think when they're, when they're listening to you now? But if you just get up there and you just own it, even if you feel like a mess inside, they're going to have no idea. Like you can, you can legitimately fake it till you make it or act like you've been there a thousand times. And that was one of those things I learned early as a trial lawyer, because I'm going to tell you right now, I was never like comfortable with the situation I was thrown into because they were always moving me up and up and up. And each case was bigger and bigger and bigger. And you like constantly feel this sense of like, I don't belong here. But if you put that, that face on that says, I don't belong here, you know what everyone else is going to realize you don't belong there. So then you're going to fail. And that ability to appear confident. And it's really just understanding that you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. That's really what confidence comes down to is just embracing. You're going to be uncomfortable. And like, I'm okay with that. And it's kind of that difference between pain or suffering, right? Like there may be some pain when you're in that situation, but suffering is when like you just let that discomfort destroy you. And it, it, it tortures you because you're so worried about the, the ramifications of, of failure. So it, it does take a level of confidence and just a level of, of belief in yourself. And I actually call it, you really need extreme confidence. And it, and it almost borders on the delusional if you want to be successful. <laughs> like, 
And, and it, it can't be cocky because cocky is where like you don't have a, a rational basis to back up your confidence. Like you've never, that'd be like, you know, somebody just out of law school being like, I should be able to try a death penalty case. I'd be like, that's cockiness. But like, if you've been there and worked up to that point, when you go into that, that case, if you're in Texas, for instance, you would have to have extreme confidence that you're the right person to get the job done. Otherwise you're going to fail. And, and so it's just an interesting idea. And it takes people so far once they start embracing that. Yeah, I, I think what what I found specifically when I get up on a stage, although bloody hell, that were a long time ago now, um, getting up on a stage or going in front of a, a you know a, a mic or a camera, once you've done it so 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 many times, you it, it it's almost it's just natural. It's just get getting in front of a camera. It's just natural, or being behind a mic. It's just natural, and I think. I, I think right back to the kind of very first serious speech that I ever had to give, and it was the end of my my design education, and it was a 25-minute talk that I had to give, and I said I was never going to do it again. I hated it, and I was dreading it for weeks. Absolutely hated it. And I got up there, did a reasonably competent 25-minute presentation, got off the stage, quote-unquote, and never wanted to do it again. But I remember how I felt during that. I felt out of control. I felt like it wasn't me who was doing the presentation. I, I felt like I had this plan of the things I was going to talk about. And it, I was I was kind of like grabbing on behind myself. You know, like grabbing onto my own ankles. Desperately trying to follow what I was doing. Because my, my heart and my mind was racing away. And I, I think that's where the reps and the confidence really comes in when you can actually just stand there and go, okay, and and then be in yourself again. And that only comes from the comfort, doesn't it, of, of being in that situation. You, you know, it, you basically describe like the worst case version of when you have an out-of-body experience. And it's interesting because as you get better at speaking and more comfortable, you will actually find that if you reach a certain level, you will have very positive out-of-body experiences when you speak. And so I've had them multiple times where like, I feel like I'm outside of myself watching every piece move in slow motion. And like, I'm just moving pieces on the board in total control. Like it feels very much like being a conductor of a symphony where I'm like, I'm seeing the entire board play out in front of me. And so you, it's a very heightened state, like in order to get there, and you've gotta be extremely comfortable with your craft and with the level of confidence that you have when you're delivering a speech. But it's interesting because you really can go from like that worst feeling like that you described where you're like, you're holding on for dear life. Just like, please, please don't leave me behind. Like this is about to crash and go crazy. And you can actually work and go to the other extent, right? And it's a little bit kind of like that, that bell, that classic bell curve where like you start out like kind of here, then you like build up all these reps and then you finally take this like dive to the other end. And you get to this place where like when you need to get in that moment, you can, and you can elevate yourself to such a place that you feel in total control. And, and I love this idea because I say it a lot, people will push back that there's no such thing as perfection. And I disagree with that idea because there are perfect moments when you're delivering a talk. There are perfect moments when you see the audience that you're talking to and you know, you've got them. Like, you know, they're with you in that moment because you're so in control and you're like outside of yourself watching it happen that you can see them when they finally turn 
and they're with you. Like they are never going to abandon you at that point. That is that perfect moment when like everything came together and they are now completely bought in with what you're saying. And so I think when you get to that level, it's, it becomes a lot of fun. Like I love talking. I love getting up and giving speeches and doing this sort of thing because it's always an opportunity to see, can I get to that place? Can I create that perfection? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's, there's something in that thing that you said about making that connection with an audience as well. And it's why I try and do different kinds of content because mm-hmm. specifically on Twitter, because if somebody's just reading the things that I say all the time, you don't really understand the person, do you? You don't make a deeper connection with that person. But then the the thing I was trying to do today, I, w- I was doing video replies to a couple of people. Uh, every now and again, when I had a spare five or 10 minutes in, in the middle of my work, and I found an interesting question or reply, I did a video reply. And the connection you kind of make with someone, even just the fact that I'm going, hi, Robbie, that's a really... That's a really interesting point. Here's what I think about it. Even just me just saying that, it's just such a more deeper connection with somebody than just words. So I, th- I think that's partly, for me, the power of branding your voice and your face. Even nobody needs to see my face, but even that kind of thing, I think it's, it's quite powerful. So voice actually creates an emotional connection. I mean, like there, there is actual science to back that up that that is a, a real human human thing that the the auditory sound of someone's voice does actually create a deeper connection than just reading what they had to say. And that is why if we look throughout history, like why have leaders both good and bad used speaking to, to such incredible, you know, results for, for their careers and for the movements that they're trying to put out, right? Like if we think about it, cult leaders or whatever they are, like it, it's, it's them speaking, mm. right? Like that's what attracts them. It is that, that magnetism, that charisma of the spoken word of the voice of that confidence that comes out of them of that charm. And it's not in writing. Like you're not going to get that charm and that charisma and that deep connection through writing. People like writing, don't get me wrong, but there's a reason why like somebody like, you know, James Clear, like great, incredible book. Right. Mm. But then he goes on how many podcasts because now he gets to, create a deeper connection with his audience who's listening to him. Now it's no longer just words in black and white. It's actually his voice. And now they connect the words in that book to a real person that they have listened to and created this bond with. And so there is an incredible power and people need to embrace being able to use their voice in these ways. And like you're talking about online, as you're creating your personal brand, you want to create this full picture. And so I think you should be creating on a number of different you know, mediums, whether it's written on Twitter, whether it's Instagram and you're creating videos or pictures, whether it's writing on a blog and creating articles that are more long form, creating videos on YouTube, TikTok, whatever it is, like the best creators are the ones who are doing it in different places because you get to see a full picture, not just this very highly curated facade that people are putting on in one platform only. Like we know that that's the case on Twitter. A lot of people are like crafting this persona that's not really who they are behind the scenes, but because they're only on Twitter and they get to edit and refine and make sure that everything is perfect, this is who people see. But the creators I'm most interested in are the ones like yourself who are doing visuals, who are doing video, who are doing podcasts, who are writing as well. Like that's the one that's interesting. I I think 
honestly, as as this kind of creator economy thing develops as well, they they're the most interesting people to follow because, and I don't have research to back this up. This is kind of a hunch, a life lesson, really. Pe- people don't like perfect people, do they? They people like imperfections. People <coughs> like seeing all sides of of somebody. And when you write a perfect tweet, it's it is it's just like a, a nice piece of prose. There's no personality to it really. But then when as soon as you start talking, there's the erms and the ahs and and, and and the stammers, like I'm doing there. There there's there's all the kind of bits of a real human being, the imperfections. You can't get that across with with just writing. And I think people just connect to people who aren't perfect and who try new things and do lots of different stuff. Ultimately, people who are interesting, right? It reminds me, there's a a great bit about Winston Churchill and the way that he actually created speeches. And he would purposely write in mistakes. He would purposely write in moments where he would take big pauses as if in the middle of that speech, some new idea came to him. Like, because he was reading his audience and like something that they did inspired this new big idea that he just came up with at the spur of the moment, except it wasn't. He literally would write those things into his speeches, but he wanted to appear like a normal person that they could connect with. It couldn't be perfect. So he would put in stutters and ums and things of that nature that made it feel like he is delivering in the heat of the moment. And that was one of his greatest strengths is creating that passion and creating that connection with his audience but it was because he was so intentional in the way that he crafted these things. So I'm not saying to make mistakes on purpose, although in certain speeches it is helpful, but it's a great example of like Churchill realized this and utilized that kind of knowledge to make sure that he had that correct connection when he was trying to move people that he was speaking to. Have you ever watched much Tommy Cooper before? I have not. <laughs> do, do you know who he is? Uh uh-huh. Oh man, he's uh, he's an old he's an old magician, an old British magician. Um, uh, there'll be clips of him on YouTube somewhere, but his whole style was he messed everything up, constantly messed everything up. He never went nothing ever went right. He used to be on TV. I think it was the seventies, maybe. He was quite big before my time, but to watch him as a performer is interesting because his whole shtick is to mess everything up, but it's all very deliberate. But it all looks like it's accidental. But if you went to one of his shows, the same show is repeated over and over. The same mistakes is in the same place every single time, but he delivers it in a way where it looks accidental every single time. Yeah, I mean, it is true. People people want to support people, not perfection. Yeah, and, and I, it reminds me of Probably another thing you've you've never seen before, a British TV show called Bottom. You had a nope, bot- never, never. I do love <laughs> British television, but you're just hitting me with some ones I've never seen. So, so Bottom is a British sitcom from the 90s. It came out of the kind of alternative comedy scene. You know, things like Blackadder. Uh, the Bottom was, it had Rick Mail in it. So Rick, Rick Mail and Ed, Ed Edmondson. It came out of the whole alternative comedy scene. And they used to do live shows. They did a couple of live shows. And the best parts of the live shows every single time was when they messed up. And they recorded all all the mess ups. They weren't purposeful. I would have thought some of them might have been purposeful. But 
they recorded them all in the live shows and they left them in there because they're the best moments. They're the moments where it's that unpredictability, isn't it? You don't know what's going to happen next. And I think that's what's quite appealing about it. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do as a speaker is to actually call something out in the moment. So like an audience member does something, like you pick up out on some sound, someone's phone goes off, like something that shows you're paying attention, like it's not just this prepared, polished speech. Hmm. And even though that isn't a technically a mistake, it shows that you're in the moment with them. Like you're not a robot. There's, there's this, this scene in, in Parks and Rec when Ben White is helping a U.S. congressman get reelected. And when he meets a congressman, he's super personable, charming, all these sort of things. And then he goes and he sits into this empty office and just like stares at the wall for like the next hours because he's basically a robot. And like another person comes, he's like, isn't he the perfect candidate? And, and Bennett is kind of like befuddled by this because like, no, that's not the perfect candidate. Like this dude is a robot. Like he's just putting on a show. And so it's interesting to me because I think about that when you're in the moment speaking, you want to do call outs to your audience that you're paying attention. Like one of my favorite things on zooms that I I do, and it's, it's always one of these tricks that leaves people being like, Whoa, I get asked about it a lot. Like, how do you do it? And I don't think it's that challenging, but I have two screens and I have the chat open on, on my, my screen to my right. And I'll just, I can quickly glance out of the side of my, my eye to see what's going on. And if I see something that catches my interest, I can quickly step out of what I'm talking about, answer a question that somebody just posed and step right back into the speech or the talk that I'm delivering. And what it's doing is it's demonstrating like, yes, I have prepared stuff, but I'm able to step out of it and be in the moment and answer what's going on. So again, it it allows me to be a real person in that moment and build a real connection with people while also delivering value. It's just a simple way. It's not, again, a mistake, but it is showing like I'm not just memorizing some sort of script and delivering it perfectly every single time. Like I'm willing to break that chain that I'm in right there, step out, answer this, and then come back. So if somebody is wanting to use all these kind of things we've been talking about and they're wanting to start getting into Clubhouse or Twitter spaces or things like that, what do you think is the best thing for somebody to start with? So, I mean, there's there's different ways to get started. There's different levels. And, and I think there's pros and cons to all of them, right? So you have just get started, right? Just start like throwing yourself into Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and talking and start a podcast and just like have conversations like, the pro of that is it's very low friction. Like you're just turning it on and starting. The con is like, you may pick up a bunch of bad habits. You don't really know what you're doing. It could hurt you long-term because you may be like, ah, I didn't, I didn't do well. And I don't want to continue on. You can also do more deliberate practice, right? Like actually going and watching YouTube videos, picking up techniques. You can watch podcasts or listen to podcasts with speakers. I mean, obviously I do a bunch of them. You can read tweets and blog articles and, and all that sort of stuff on how to be a better speaker. You can read books, story worthy about Matthew Dix. I mean, like great, great book, like totally, totally big fan of like what he's doing and a lot of the other books that I've read in the space, but then you've got to figure out how do you actually implement that and practice it yourself. So like you can spend a lot of time doing that. So the, the pro is it's not high cost. The con is it can take you a lot of time and you are trying to figure it out on your own, which can lead you lost there's obviously like low cost items where you can practice with like apps like Ori 
is, is one, poise is another that you can use to get feedback from AI services. And that can certainly help you as well. They're pretty cheap for a subscription base. You can do the same with Otter or Descript or different things like that, where you're just recording yourself and seeing, get on YouTube, practice and do that. Obviously you can find communities to get involved with. And then kind of your last bigger piece is coaching or some sort of courses. I mean, the, the pros and cons of that are the cons are it costs money. And, and generally depending on the quality of the program and the quality of the teacher, it's going to cost like more and more money. The, the pro is you're getting valuable information. Like you're being taught exactly how to implement it in a way that removes a lot of the time and guesswork in that process. So like, there's a lot of ways and it just depends on where somebody is at. Like what's more valuable to them at this point, time or money. And if you just have plenty of time and you don't care about wasting it, but like you do care about money and you don't want to spend it, well then you're going to do one of the options that's going to take you a lot more time to figure out because you don't want to spend the money. But if you're like, I want this now, I want this in three months. I want to be like that person who steps up onto a stage, onto a Zoom screen, onto whatever presentation in front of the boardroom and delivers, well, then you're going to say, you know what, like time is my most valuable asset. So I will spend the money to get to that point much quicker. And those are the things you really have to weigh out to figure out what is the right option for you, because there's a lot of them out there and it's just figuring out which one makes the most sense for you. So do you think somebody could become a pretty competent speaker in a couple of months with targeted practice and the right guidance? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I say that because I've, I've literally done it with, with people. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, that is part of my job, right? Like I, I teach persuasive speaking at SMU law school for the last three years. I coach the national mock trial team. Like I take law students who don't have any background in this stuff. And in two months have them competing at a, a national level where judges who are current presiding judges on real courts in the United States will reach out to them and be like, you are better than 90% of the attorneys who walk into my, my courtroom on a daily basis. And so do I think that's possible? Yeah. Have I seen it in performance speaking as well and clients I work with and coach with and consult for founders who are fundraising again, hundred percent. Can it be done in one to three months? Yes, it can. It takes time. It takes effort. And most of all, like it does take an investment because it's not cheap to get that level of transformation in that short of a period of time, but you can do it like hundred percent. Like again, I've, I've seen at this point, like hundreds of people go through my program, like working with me at SMU or working in performance speaking and all in my coaching side. And like, it, it, it works. It's not, it's not easy, but it, it, it works and you just got to put in time and put in, put in the investment. I mean, obviously I'm going to say the only way to do it is to do it every day. Cause that's the thing I always, <laughs> I always say. Um, but yeah, f- for me to, to do it that way, it's obviously taken me a long time to get competent and I, I wouldn't exactly call myself an amazing speaker or anything like that but it's it's taken me years to get competent at least so i can stand on a stage or record a podcast or record a video and it doesn't bother me and i can put in a performance fairly straightforward that's that's took me years so i think that that way around does does take a lot um a long time but i i think i, I wouldn't have changed it for the world with the way that i've done it because you get a lot of practice and I think the like the things you were saying if you are learning from books or anything else 
you are not really practicing. So you still need to figure out a way to get the practice in some way. Otherwise, you're just reading the book for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Can you do it the way that you've done it? Yeah, like you you can. And I would say doing it that way will probably get you, you can get anywhere between probably, depending on the person, 70 to 90% of the way there doing it that way. It, it's going to be very challenging. Like in order, so there's different levels, right? Like if you're trying to get to that top 10%, where like you start becoming an elite speaker that, I mean, that takes a level of, of pretty deep knowledge when it comes to human psychology, persuasion, oratory techniques and tactics and skills and things of that nature in order to, to really master it. So like, if you're trying to be an elite speaker in the top 10% of the world, like that, that takes specialized training, but can you get to like 70% to 90% just by putting in the reps and putting in the time you can, but again, you're, you're sacrificing time to, to get there. And that's perfectly fine. Like, again, I think there are plenty of valid approaches to this. Like, I don't think one way is the right way. I think you've got to figure out for each individual person, what makes the most sense for you? Are you like yourself, Craig, where you're like, I just want to put in the practice. Like I want to put in the reps. I want to build this. That's just like who I am. And that's, that is like, that's fantastic. Then, then do that. Or if you're someone who's like, I don't have that time. I need to get these results faster. Well, then there are ways to do that. And so no matter what approach you take though, you are going to need to put practice in. Like you've got to put in reps. You're not going to get good just listening to me tell you things. Like, and that's one of the things that I focus a lot on when I teach this stuff is like, yes, I teach, but then you implement. You have to practice. You have to be vulnerable. You have to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to do this and then I'll get feedback. That's where that magic really starts coming in. And in fact, like I, I shared a, a DM last night from a client who was like, dude, like just like felt performance speaking come over me and just like was selling from the moment we opened to the moment we ended. Like, I just felt like I could tell my story. I tell the story of my product. And the reason he said was because like, I've just been telling it so much, like you made me put in these reps. And that is true. Like I told him how to do it. And then I said, now put in the reps and let's build it and give feedback and develop that and refine it and iterate and continue to build. And that ultimately is what leads to success. So like, it really is kind of a two-way street. You've got to have the right person helping you if you're going to go that route, but then you have to do the work yourself because it doesn't just come from me telling you the way to do it. You actually have to practice, develop, and find to go back to what we started talking about, your voice, your distinctive voice. Like what is going to make you you? Because I can teach you how to be Robbie Crabtree, but like you don't want to sound like Robbie Crabtree because there's all already one of me. Like I'm owning that distinctive voice. So like if you come and try to be just like me, it's not going to work. So you've, you've got to put in that time and develop your own style. I think that's a perfect point to end on your uh, on, on on your little soliloquy there that we had at the end. You knew we were I'm, building to the end. I'm full, I'm full of them, man. I'm full of them. <laughs> it's man, it's a pleasure as always. Um, have you got anything you want to finish off on, or do you want to promote or plug? Anybody wants to reach out to me for coaching or performance speaking information around the course, just DM me on Twitter. It's at Robbie Crab. That's the easiest way. And honestly, I can answer questions. Uh, I try to help out as much as possible, but it is getting more and more challenging these days as the, uh, the numbers, the numbers keep growing. So, uh, Craig, always good, man. I always appreciate being here. It's just a blast to talk to you every time. And I know we could have done this for two, three, four, five, six hours. (laughs) I know. I'll speak to you again soon. Sounds good, man.